Jordan, you're going to be on threads? What's up? You're going to be a thread guy now? I am. I am. Yeah? Okay. I don't know. Do we, like, I can't, do I need to be on a third Twitter now? Like, this is outrageous. Like, well, I remember back in my day, there was just one Twitter. Now there's three. I can't be, I can't be <laughs> devoting all this time to posting. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, Jesus. Yeah, I like that everybody saw after a month or two of Elon Musk controlling Twitter, Everybody realized, oh yeah, this isn't going to happen. This isn't this isn't going to work. Everybody rushed to get their their alternates yeah. uh, out. So you had Post dot News, you had Spoutable, you obviously have Blue Sky. Now we have Instagram Threads. I'm sure there's a couple others that I'm forgetting, but they all tried to rush out these competitors. I do think just because of Meta's size and scope, which is a bad thing. That is a bad thing. That yeah. One company has this giant control uh, of all of these different platforms and influence over industries. That's a bad thing. But because of that, I do think this is going to be the one that will grow the largest, the fastest. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, Zuckerberg does have a long history of filling up his pro- products with a bunch of bloated bullshit that no one really likes. We'll see. I've been enjoying Blue Sky. Like we talked a little bit about before, like that might have hurt them. The fact that they are still in this kind of invite only mode. And maybe that's something they should have like gone, opened up to everybody a while ago. We'll see. You know, I, you know, it's, it's just been bizarre this whole last couple of weeks. And there's the whole experience on Twitter with the the rate limiting thing. Elon's brilliant gambit of making sure that no one could use the fucking social media website on his <laughs> social media website. Amazing. Just really amazing stuff. This from this business genius who's obviously just like <laughs> flailing to retroactively justify some galaxy brain idea for just not basically paying his bills and his website breaking and then pretending that he's like has some like plan in mind to deal with some non-existent problem that was never an issue previously what an absolute clusterfuck i don't know (laughs) it's incredible uh yeah but yeah i'm i'm on there and so is the insurgents so if you want to head on over to threads you can follow us at the insurgents pod but more importantly we are doing video now uh, because of your subscriptions, because of people subscribing, we're able to uh, edit and post videos of the show, show clips, reels, longer segments on our YouTube channel. So if you head on over to YouTube, search The Insurgents, please give us a subscribe there. Uh, any any views or subscriptions over there helps, uh, and that is all made possible through your support. Earlier this week, we did a July 4th uh, episode, just the two of us, which was was just pretty fun for our paid interns, our beloved subscribers. We also got into cocaine being found at the White House, which (laughs) uh, that is 
maybe Rob as we get yeah, into. I cannot I mean, confirm Rob was there on, on, yeah. on the grounds. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. We talked yeah. about U.S. drug policy and what we think could be done to improve what is a ridiculously brutal system that doesn't really treat the root cause of addiction. That was a, that was a good conversation. If you subscribe at insurgentspod.com for just five bucks a month, you get that episode and every other premium episode that we put out. And we thank you all for listening and subscribing. You guys mean the world to us. Yes. Uh, well, that was a great episode. The last one, we really, we really like jumped around from like serious drug policy discussion to uh, talking about Nathan's hot dog eating contests, to going into <laughs> talking about the Israeli raid on the Janine uh, refugee camp, uh, really all over the place. But I really enjoy very it. important think, topics. Yeah, exactly. The three <laughs> things on everyone's mind right now. Uh, but no, but it was really good. So yeah. I hope everyone that all our subscribers can go ahead and check that out. And of course, like Jordan's saying, if you want to get that access to that and other bonus content, please subscribe at theinsurgentspod.com. That's what it is, no, right? Insurgentspod.com. No, mm. there's no the One day in the I will URL. <laughs> One day I will know our own website, but today is not that day. Yes. Um, does anything <laughs> in the news you wanted to go over before we get to our, fr- our, our interview with our friend uh, Steve Slidkowski of Pup, who's coming on today? Another fantastic guest. Great conversation. Yeah, that was awesome. But yes, before we get to our conversation with Steve, we've got to take a second to talk about Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers. And this is the funniest and most clever move I've seen from a Democrat in recent history. So he's dealing with, you know, Republicans in the state legislature who sent him a budget. And what he did was, and this is genius, used the line item veto to, in response to this 2024 hyphen 25 budget, vetoed the two and the zero in 2024 and the hyphen in between the numbers and made it the budget until 2425, which if it goes untouched, which, you know, let's be real, it's probably going to be next time there's a Republican governor and a complete Republican trifecta in the state. It's probably going to be adjusted. But right now, they are set up for 400 plus years of continued increases annual in public education. Don't you just fucking love it? It's just great to see in response to all of these crushing defeats from the right. A single Democrat doing something to fight yeah. back in an innovative way. I mean, yeah, it's a fucking low bar to talk about the ways that like liberals or Democrats <laughs> are and are refusing to kind of take any kind of drastic action to, to uh, you know, push back against this relentless like rightward uh, march or this march of like privatization in any industry. But you, you appreciate definitely, especially Democrats who are like so wedded to these rules and norms and up and down the like from everyone in the party just seems so allergic to taking these kind of drastic steps it was it was definitely funny and interesting to see a prominent Democrat take this kind of like underhanded kind of like approach to kind of sneaking that in there and and really you know supporting public funding for public education, which again a lot of people in the Democratic Party have gone down this path over the last decade of like private school vouchers and charter schools and all this shit and have contributed contributed to the starving the public education system. So 
definitely, like you pointed out, probably not something that anyone should celebrate too much over considering Republicans will probably end up using the same strategy to like, I don't know, lock in a hundred percent increase to the military budget for the next century or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, you know, for now, you know, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a left leaning person, if you're a progressive type person following American politics or living in America, I mean, you got to take your wins where you can get them. And that was a, that was a good, it's good to see that. It was good to see. Absolutely. I just had to take a second to talk about that because it's been cracking me up all day. I love it. Yeah. I want to see more. More like people this. should think about that. Yeah, exactly weird weird procedural tricks that you can you can pull like that you might as well try something <laughs> try try some crazy shit that's what the democrats never want to do try some wacky some wacky yeah. schemes i want more schemes i want more schemes yeah. from democrats and progressives i want to see democrats go sicko mode that's, that's <laughs> exactly. all i'm asking i don't think i'm asking a lot i don't think so either <laughs> it's the not something we've seen a lot of but you know who else goes sicko mode who <laughs> trying to set up Steve here? You know, yeah. Steve Sladkowski of Pub. Yeah. He goes sicko mode. He does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Everyone um, says it. Yeah, and Pup's such a great band. It's really cool to be able to have Steve come on the show. We talked a lot about Canada stuff this week, but um, which I think is kind of cool. Even though, as some of our listeners pointed out, it's we're actually switching, and you're becoming the official Canadian of the show, and I'm becoming the official American. I was kind of getting into the whole patriotic flag waving jingoistic thing last week talking about oh, hot good, dogs yeah. and that kind of <laughs> that kind of stuff but um yeah you don't even like hockey yeah i know i know it is kind of funny isn't it um but regardless of where you are like if you're if you're one of our listeners in canada or america or wherever else i think we're having some conversations this week about the um mayoral race in toronto with olivia chow about canadian uh media industry and and big tech and the efforts to push back against that, no matter where you are, I think it's really pertinent discussions that you can, you know, draw important distinctions and uh, lessons from, um, regardless of where you're coming from. So really great conversation with Steve Sladkowski. Love Pup. Happy to have Steve back on the show. It was terrific stuff. Yeah, it was excellent. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. And Steve Sladkowski will be joining the show right after this. Hot enough for you guys, huh? Oh yeah. How about that heat? I, I got a <laughs> I got a push notification this afternoon uh, that uh, yesterday was the hottest uh, day ever, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah uh, uh, or, or Monday was, and then Tuesday beat it. So we're just we're setting records, you know. That's what I yeah. like. It feels good. Feels yeah. good to be on top. It's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting <laughs> to be part of it. Yeah, looking forward to continuing that. Let's let, let the line go up. Yeah, it's not heat. It is good, right? Like uh, that's that's what they say. It's good to feel warm. Who likes being cold all the time? Not me. Yeah, I'm like I I love Europe. Uh, we were just there, you know. But they are like in in ways that like North Americans are also unprepared, but just slightly different. Uh, like uh, there's not a ton of air conditioning in a lot of the hotels or whatever. Some of the spaces that you find yourself in. But not only that, like there's no screens for the windows. So like we were in Denmark and it was like roasting in this hotel room that we were in. And I opened uh, the window 
and then was FaceTiming my wife and our room filled with mosquitoes. Like I'm talking like, <laughs> like 15 or 20 mosquitoes easy, <laughs> like within, within 20 minutes. Oh. And I just was like, I was like three, four, maybe a couple extra drinks in. And I had to take my like towel and it was like a, it was like a skit, like some sort of like bad sketch show where I was just like snapping. And instead of snapping, like, you know, it, like, like some sort of locker room or whatever, it was just mosquitoes. Like I was just killing mosquitoes. And there's like all these like blood spatters on the wall. I was like, well, this is, this is good. At least there are no airborne uh, you know, no like vectors for disease that mosquitoes represent or anything. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we know the Danes have seen a screen before too. Like this is not new technology. I get with air conditioning yeah, yeah, and no, might be universally adopted, <laughs> but like screen, this is not a new phenomenon. Like it's very, pretty easy to no. throw one of those up there. <laughs> it's like, fine. I get it. You don't want to have the air conditioning. That's great. That's probably a, a, a broadly a, a more uncomfortable, but sustainable way to like have your uh a scandinavian like fashionable society or whatever but like uh yeah, yeah how how can why are you letting the bugs in <laughs> we don't have to do that yeah uh it's good and then like two days later i was like oh they found malaria in florida and texas that's my my fiance lives in texas and it, whenever i'm there i always obviously go before i go i dread the heat because it's just brutal but the bugs there are so big. It's like, you know, in the jungle, because it's, you know, always hot and humid, like some of them just keep growing. They don't either die or wither away in the winter. They just like get to these enormous sizes. The flies there are like the size of small dogs. They're colossal. And you open the door and they're immediately in. And then you just can't get rid of them. Uh, they've got this like electronic fly zapper, but that isn't as effective as I'd, I'd like it to be. So just a mix of like, really broiling heat and just colossal flies like surrounding you it's it's too much fun yeah but yeah. it's hot well, we're right? fortunate so that's good. That we're, we're blanketed in wildfire smoke and that cuts down on all the bugs so <laughs> yeah that's no right problem. yeah <laughs> nature's deet yeah nature's deet yeah exactly <laughs> you're welcome america um yeah no it was it was brutal today in montreal it was brutal the last couple of nights i went to Went for a swim in the public pool with my kid today. That was nice. Very, very hot. That was that was pleasant. Well, this is the nice thing under, you know, under the new, the socialist regime of Olivia Chow here in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, the pools were open late last night. You know, they're keeping them open. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really great. That's, that's the only thing that's been wrong with the city, yeah. actually. So she's fixed it. That's it. Toronto's yeah. back, baby. <laughs> yeah. <it's weird. laughs> There we go. Yeah. <laughs> First, let's introduce our guest. I would love to get back to that. Steve Slatkowski from Pup. You're back on the show. Uh, we're we're happy to have you back. I think we did establish last time, possibly that you are a gamer. I think you, I'm not going to revisit it if the answer was no. We're just going to presume your answer was yes. Yeah. But I would love to talk <laughs> about the the <laughs> to the new Toronto mayor. Uh, I, I haven't, didn't really follow the, the race. didn't follow the outcome. I saw a couple of you guys posting about it and I was just watching from the periphery. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this more of the same? What, what is happening uh, in Toronto? Uh, well, first of all, I think I am more of a gamer, uh, than I was the last time I was here. So we can, that's like a, a 
Nice. A net win. Fantastic I news. It's our influence. iPhone game still nothing. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know. Olivia Chow, uh, a longtime New Democrat. Uh, I think it is certainly better. Um, but that's not saying very much, given uh, you know, this is the first time there's even been a whiff of a pro- type, uh, like a progressive type in Toronto city hall, basically since I have been able to vote, you know, I think, uh, the, the first time, uh, that I voted in, in for mayor of Toronto was when David Miller ran and he, I guess was nominally a progressive, um, you know, I, I think the campaign broadly, like there are certainly, uh, and this is probably, uh, not, uh, not a surprise to most of the listeners on this podcast, but there, there are, you know, I think of someone like Chloe Brown who finished third uh, in the last election and who obviously wasn't able to kind of make that kind of inroad, but, but who had really kind of, uh, who was, who was kind of saying a lot of the stuff that I think progressives and, and, and people who actually care about the city um, being an inclusive and welcoming, welcoming place, not only for, um, people born and raised here, uh, you know, like myself, but, but for the, uh, like large numbers of, of new immigrants who, who kind of flock to the city, um, for obvious reasons, it's, it's kind of an economic and cultural center of, of Canada. Um, certainly Chloe Brown was a more interesting candidate. Uh, but, uh, Olivia Chow was the progressive that I think, um, center left, kind of people uh got around and and that was enough because the campaign was too short for anything to go wrong yeah i mean it seems to me you know i'm not in toronto obviously but it just seems to me as an an example of the ways that like how completely out of touch with reality our sort of political discourse is in this country where olivia chow who yeah you could describe her as being sort of like center left or progressive or whatever um, you know, was famous, like uh, one of the things she's most known for is being the wife of former NDP leader, Jack Layton, who famously, you know, I, I had a lot of respect for Jack Layton, but his whole kind of political project was kind of pulling the NDP closer to the center to be kind of more like a, a big tent sort of liberal party light with maybe a few more uh, social democratic elements or things like that. So not someone who's like, I'm coming from this big radical political tradition, um, but still being framed by like right-wing media and right-wing figures as being this like dangerous communist, uh, you know, Toronto has fallen to communism, you know, kind of thing. Like it's really bizarre. Yeah. There were some really funny moments, I think for, for that sort of like that sort of thing, like, like Mark Saunders, you know, uh, just like the most brain dead fucking police candidate that couldn't even, whatever the job of policing is in Toronto, which uh, is mostly just to be a failure. Uh, it, it, it couldn't even do that well. Right. They had a, they had Bruce MacArthur, the serial killer running loose in the gay village. They had uh, another funny one to me is that the, like the Barry and honey Sherman, there's like a big Toronto star and there's a book out about those billionaires who, who made generic drugs who were murdered uh, in their home, like in a very rich part of Toronto that they could, that happened under Mark Saunders They've never solved that. So all these like very high profile things that he was like, I'm really going to be tough and safeguard Toronto's future. It's like, motherfucker, you couldn't even do it 
when you had carte blanche and an increasing budget anyway, but it was like, uh, Toronto can't afford Olivia Chow was like his big thing. And it yeah. was like, uh, Toronto can afford a lot. It just doesn't want to like, like this is a cheap, embarrassing city in a lot of ways. And, uh, and nowhere is that I think, um, kind of more ingrained than at the municipal level. Um, and I think that's sort of the thing that, that if I were to kind of try and look rosily at Olivia Chow, um, I think she probably did most of her like really great work at the municipal level as like a Toronto city councilor. Um, and so hopefully that is maybe something that she can, uh, she can kind of help, uh, with uh, as mayor. This is kind of the issue, right? Is that um, a lot of the issues that someone like Olivia Chow is going to have to confront as mayor of Toronto, like housing is, is a good example. Like I'm willing to bet whatever, whatever kind of proposals she's going to bring to the table to deal with Toronto's like completely outrageous housing crisis as well. And the homelessness crisis is nowhere near going to be radical enough for what it needs to be while she's still being framed as being this like dangerous, dangerous left wing, uh, subversive type. Um, another kind of scary thing as well is that I think it's like, it, it was really an example of the way that like China and the Chinese diaspora in Canada is under this kind of relentless microscope right now as well. And you have Olivia Chow, who's from Hong Kong, who throughout her career, like has not like been a supporter of China really in any way and has been as, as harsh critic of China has kind of gone along with a lot of this viewpoint about China in terms of its human rights issues and things like that. And she's kind of co-signed that, that narrative, but literally because she met with one group of uh, Chinese Canadian diasporic Toronto residents who have like mildly pushed back against some of these claims about uh, human rights or, or whatever, She's being framed as well by people uh, in our media. A lot of these claims coming directly from CSIS, the Canadian spy agency, as being some kind of like, uh, you know, CPC uh, agent or something like that. Like it's incredibly fucking deranged. Um, and like that's it was very bizarre. And I was happy to see that 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 narrative didn't really take hold as much as people were trying to make it. But is really kind of alarming. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, first of all, I mean, why wouldn't we take CSIS at its word, though? Really, that at the end of the day, right? That's yeah, the sure. the Canadian yeah. spy agency. We got it. We definitely got to No, um, but you know, yeah, I think, I think it it does. Um, if there's if there's one thing that maybe unites uh, uh, Toronto and and the you know many millions of people who live here. It's that they don't like to like feel embarrassed about Toronto, uh, which is not a very good motivator for fucking anything, but is true, right? It's like how we got from Rob Ford to John Tory. It's like the 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 like tight ass like Protestant family compact, uh, you know, low or sorry, Upper Canada fucking thing that's had a stranglehold on this city for you know, one hundred and fifty two hundred years. Uh, essentially is just like, well, Rob Ford's embarrassing. We need a, our guy. We literally got a guy called John Tory, which is the most like milk toast, like conservative British Canadian name. Um, and I think even then, I, you know, I think people were starting to realize like, hey, here's John Tory, like, uh, 
philandering in his office. Uh, we need someone who's not going to be embarrassing that can make Toronto feel good about itself. Like, why not, uh, 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 you know, uh, someone like Olivia Chow, who who speaks to um, Toronto's uh, inflated sense of uh, being welcoming to immigrants and being uh, a city that is tolerant and clean and progressive and likes to tell, I think, a lot of uh, narratives about itself that that when you kind of uh, poke at it a little bit and and get beyond sort of that facade, uh, it doesn't really hold up because it's, it's it's a a more and more a playground for the rich, uh, as as many large urban centers are. But but you know um, that's kind of the 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 fact. Again, I, I I'm kind of watching this from afar, but I. I think as we've talked about before with Canadian issues, it often mirrors the political dynamics and conflicts here in the States. And a lot of the rhetoric uh, is also integrated into uh, the Canadian political discourse. I'm wondering if the same, you know, factions and animus toward people who are even moderately progressive that we see so often here also happens there. And specifically, I I was reading a story today about Olivia Chow uh, criticizing the Canadian federal government for not providing any money to help with housing for refugees who are coming to Toronto. Uh, Do you expect when she becomes mayor that we might see a little bit colder treatment from the federal government than you would otherwise. I'm I'm just curious how they treat people who are even moderately progressive uh, in Canada. Yeah, it's it's strange, you know. I don't know. I don't know where where that's going to end up. I mean, historically speaking, uh, at both a federal and provincial level, um, and you know, Rob, I think this is maybe uh, something you've probably noticed being in Quebec as well, like. The idea of giving money to Toronto does not uh, uh, go over very well, right? Um, the money, the money, you know, the same way that I think uh, maybe giving money to Quebec doesn't go over well yeah. in some in some parts uh, of the country. But you know, I I, I do no, think at not. the end of the yeah. day, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I I think uh, there is some tacit sort of recognition um at both of those levels that like you can't avoid the mayor of toronto it's just not like canada's not big enough for that to to be the case you know like um like is is joe biden talking to brandon johnson uh in in chicago i don't know but like there's not as much of um, it feels like a need in the United States to have that sort of thing happening. Whereas like if Toronto's not working, that is, is an issue whether it's popular or not. I'm sure they they don't want to, like, I'm sure, you know, uh, but then I was reading, I I read, I think it was in the Toronto star or something in the days kind of following the, the, um, which is a whole other nightmare of the Toronto star right now. But, uh, you know, uh, that Rob, the Ford family actually really liked Jack Layton, which is like one of those weird things that could only happen 
in a municipal like environment where you know like the whole thing about the fords was like oh well if you know if mrs uh mrs thompson down the street uh needs her garbage picked up uh well jesus christ we're gonna pick up her garbage because she can't she's an old lady you know and we're gonna have to get the city's gonna have to pick up her garbage like that and that that's sort of like um like like kind of baseline populism i think is actually something that jack layton did really well right like the the like um famous like bike lock stands in toronto are like a jack layton design and that's something that people always hold up um so i don't know like it's 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 one of those weird things where the municipal politics can get very strange and 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 catty but can also ha- they they make a lot of really strange kind of bedfellows because of yeah some of these weird kind of I don't know. It's so weird. It's just such the city is so broken. It's so broken. Yeah. I mean, one of the funniest <laughs> takes that I saw about uh, Olivia Chow was like there's I can't even remember who it was. Some dumb reactionary account was showing like the aftermath of the Toronto Pride Parade with like workers cleaning up the confetti or whatever it was and being like, this is what happens under these communist regimes after their decadent, disgusting displays of their pride parade. The workers have to come in and clean it up. And it's like, what exactly is the problem here? You got a bunch of workers being paid probably pretty decently, probably overtime to do a job here, you know? What's what exactly who's being exploited here? I don't really get what the big issue is here. I don't know. People are really reaching to find stuff to freak out over here. Yeah. Every single person I've ever met who does anything for the city of Toronto just like does it not only because whatever their job is, like they're good at it. You you work for the city in some way, like, but like cares, like cares about the city. They're like, yeah, of course, like I would like to help uh like make it safer for people to be on a bicycle right like like even in even in places it's it's got it's deteriorated so badly just in terms of like a discourse and how um how the actual like just nuts and bolts of running a city works that like in places that you would see uh you know a place like the junction in toronto which is a neighborhood that i grew up in uh in the west end um uh, today, a ten-year-old uh, uh, girl was hit by a car on her bicycle, right? And like that is that happened at an intersection where there are bike lanes, and like and like where all of these things, like these sort of flashbulb issues of like Toronto can't afford more bike lanes, uh, you know, these sorts of like like dumb ass fucking rhetoric things. Um, it, it gets held up in these neighborhoods, you know, and it's like no like literally we can't even we can't even figure out that that the city is not safe right and not in a like crime way in a like it is not safe for pedestrians and cyclists to be out in public going to work or going to the grocery store like like it has deteriorated that badly it's not about getting potholes filled so that people's like you know whatever Porsche fucking SUVs uh, don't need to get a new suspension. Like it isn't, there are moments where people and, and someone like uh, Sean Mikalef have, have talked about this a lot. Just like you really see it when you, when you leave 
you know, and I have, I have the great opportunity to see a lot of the world through touring and, and it just breaks my heart, honestly, as someone who, who, like I said, uh, uh, grew up here and, 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 you know, whose family, uh, has been here for, for two and a half generations. Like it, it, it sucks, man. It really sucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just, it just speaks to this kind of like the way that, you know, it's, it's not just about Olivia Chow and her being like kind of a mild progressive and being framed in this radical way, but just the way that this kind of like, just, you know, vaguely progressive kind of like, uh, urbanization plan, city planning, uh, bike lanes and increase and just doing bare minimum things to kind of improve, um, life for people that are living in these big metropolitan centers and the way that's being framed as being so like sinister, like the whole thing about 15 minute cities. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the whole 15 yeah. minute city conspiracy, Steve, but that's, that's amazing to me as well. And you're getting a lot of that kind of bleed over with that kind of talk, We're getting talk about the bike lanes and all like, there's all, there's so much traffic already. We need less bike lanes, like more fucking lanes are going to, reduce traffic which is something that would have been proven to work decades ago if it actually had any impact on that which it does not um but it's the same thing it's like any any mildly progressive uh city planning initiative you can use whether it's more bike lanes or like trying to make it so people aren't spending their whole lives in cars you know people are like it's this funny dichotomy where they're like there, there runs, there's so much traffic we need less bike lanes and it's like okay well why don't we design our cities a little smarter so you don't have to sit in your car all the time and you can use transit and you can go like near where you live and get groceries and see a doctor and go to school and all that stuff. And then you don't have to sit in traffic and they're like, fuck you. No, I need traffic. Yeah. I, I need that's my, my God. That's my God given right. <laughs> it's just, a, you know, it's, it's, this is the trend that I think is so alarming is just this, this very, very mild progressivism and the way that these weird reactionaries here in America and around the world are just like losing their fucking minds and going down these conspiracy rabbit holes about these really benign like urban planning initiatives. You know, it's very strange to me. This has always been the thing for me. I've just like, you know, there are issues with the subway in a place like New York City. I I, I don't know them because that's not, you know, I don't live there. But like, it seems to me that uh, if you are a, a like a Democrat or a Republican in in New York City, uh, or you know whatever the case may be, uh, the the subway and the transit file is not the kind of political football that it seems to be in in Toronto and in a lot of Canadian cities. And 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 I hope if I am wrong about that, someone can like correct me. But like New York, if the subway doesn't work in New York City, fucking New York City doesn't work, right? Like. Like it kind of, you need that. It's sort of the uh, people don't have cars in in New York City the way that that they do in a place like Toronto. And like, it, it's crazy to me that uh, we we would we would uh, Toronto tries to do this thing where we're like, oh, you know, there's the, there's a great there's a great like a uh, uh, Steve Martin uh, joke from Thirty Rock uh, where. <laughs> where he's like, he's fallen in love with Tina Fey, uh, you know, Liz Lemon on the show. And he goes, come away with me to Toronto. It's like New York without all the stuff. <laughs> and like that, <laughs> that to me, that to me has like been a perfect, like, like uh, I think a lot of people in Toronto like to think of it as sort of like, oh, it's like kind of like New York. It's like kind of chic or whatever. And you're like, fuck off. No, it isn't. Like we're, <laughs> 
we're, we're not like we are not taking the kind of pride in New York that even the average New Yorker does. Um, and, and it shows, it shows in the way that we, we talk about transit and we talk about, uh, uh, navigating the city in anything other than a, than a car, uh, and, and just in the way in which, uh, we have continued to just happily watch the city crumble and and see more and more of our neighbors living in tents in parks uh at the expense of uh keeping property taxes low you know like and 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 it it, it is another driver too of um condo development right one of the ways in which the property tax works in Toronto is that each condominium unit is uh taxed uh as property so instead of bringing up property tax on much more valuable uh, single family homes, which Toronto has a great many of um, you, you are able to then build these like luxury high rise condominiums in very specific parts of the city that can all be taxed individually. So it seems like you're bringing in more property tax, but really the cost of the city is not really changing because those, those rates aren't actually going up. Um, and so it just drives people to kind of capitalize on the extremely high cost of property everywhere in this city. Um, and no affordable housing gets made because it's not profitable for either the city who is looking to keep property taxes low while seeming like they're building more properties for people to live. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's not good for broad urban life. Like I'm not even against building I live in, uh, in a, in an apartment. Right. But like, uh, we're not really thinking about the kind of demand that that is putting on the infrastructure of this city because we're not investing in the fucking infrastructure. <laughs> so like it's, it's maddening. I, I, you know? Yeah. And then it goes back to the original point that I was making about this. And I think you can, you can, this can be about Olivia Chow. It can be about Valerie Plantier in Montreal or whatever, whatever major urban center in America or whatever, where there's increasingly, uh, increasingly desperate unhoused populations and increasing uh, tent encampments and things like that. You know, uh, you know, we're going to get some different proposals from progressive uh, type people like Olivia Chow or whoever else to try and um, address this issue, but no one's actually really talking about like, for instance, just like putting unhoused people in housing, you know, that's not the idea that like we could do that. That's never really discussed. And instead what we get is this kind of like, you know, more middling approach this way to try and appease the developers while also kind of being compassionate to people. And no one's really proposing the real like solutions that you need to like really attack this very serious crisis. Um, but even these kind of very middle of the road sort of ideas um, are being framed as being radical and outrageous. And it's just, it's, it's not just about housing. You know, it's about everything is about climate or the police or whatever. It's just, it, this is the problem that any of these kind of progressive uh, legislators are running up to do, which is that, you know, they're trying to walk this line of appeasing everyone and trying to advance solutions to these various, very serious problems that are going on. But no one's actually really willing to go after like, to talk about housing, like the commodification of housing in the first place, which is what's causing the 
<laughs> the rents and the property values to totally skyrocket. Um, and inev- inevitably, it's just like not really confronting the issue the way it needs to be. It's galvanizing right wingers for all the wrong reasons. And meanwhile, the problem just continues to kind of get worse. And, you know, we're seeing this happen all over the Western world right now. Yeah, the there was a tweet this week. Someone posted a picture of a, you know, small, modest home and they tried yeah. to denounce, you know, t- conversations and concerns around a housing crisis. And they were like, well, this is why there's a housing crisis, because people don't want this house. They want, you know, mega mansions. And it's like, no, that's that's not true. That house in a major city is probably close to a million. And this is, again, a very small, maybe 700 square foot, yeah, maybe one or two bedroom home. home. I'm looking. Yeah, I mean, my, my fiance and I are moving to L.A. and it's been just fucking maddening looking at all these homes to rent. It's like I don't want to talk about prices. It's just, it'll make my stomach turn. And these are tiny, tiny homes. We're not looking for something opulent. We're looking for like a two bedroom so we could work there as well. And it is just astronomical. Granted, L.A. is an outlier compared to the rest of the country. But still, looking at just the prices of when these homes were purchased or last sold and the price that they are now, it's nearly a 50 percent increase just in the past several years Something interesting about that um, that I have I have sort of noticed as as kind of a, a very sort of nefarious difference between the United States and Canada. Uh, you know, obviously my wife is American, so so we um, we spend more time kind of going back and forth now. Um, and then I've toured a lot too. Uh, the The selling price of property in the United States is public fucking knowledge. In Canada, it's not. In Canada, all of that stuff is paywalled and protected by real estate organizations and 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 realtors and stuff that you basically have to pay a subscription fee uh, to, in order to see. Right. So so like there's not not like a like a whatever it is like Redfin or like any of those uh, 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 any of those types of of property listing places that show you oh yeah this hey, Jordan this two bedroom you wanna rent in los angeles uh sold in 2008 say uh when it was very cheap to buy property uh uh and uh now uh, it sold again in 2015 and it was this you know whatever that is all just fucking laid out that is not the case here it, it, the only time that you will publicly see a listing uh, and again i hope that i'm wrong but in my kind of exploration of this uh, the only time you see the listing in Canada is if the property is on the market. Once the property has has been sold or taken off the market, that is no longer public information. And and I I I genuinely think that is a way of suppressing people's rage. Like I don't know that it's necessarily intentional. It probably fucking is. But like, uh, because if if people were to see that progression in a place like Toronto. Uh, you know, I don't, I I don't know. I don't, and throughout much of Canada, I mean, it can't be that much better in Montreal, you know, like. I did not know that about the the pricing transparency or lack thereof in Canada. That's surprising, but also it feels like only a matter of time before that happens here because people are able to see, oh, for instance, the house that we are really looking at, we can see it just sold in May. And immediately people are just turning it into a rental property. 
So yeah. I think that that might be the catalyst when you have all of these people gobbling up homes just to rent them out so they can turn a buck and you use it as an investment vehicle and then you're paying off the mortgage. The more people see that and the more mad they get, the sooner we're going to get to a point where we're not going to be able to see that either. So I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't happened in the States already. That was like a like an oh shit moment for my wife and I when we when she was like, you can't just see what a property has cost here. And I was like, fuck no. Like, <laughs> like it's no way. No, not a chance. You know, like uh yeah, it's crazy. It's it's wild. I mean, I, I just wanted to make sure we have enough time to talk about the the bigger news in Toronto. Uh, and that is the news with the Toronto Raptors that I know you both really wanted to talk about. Uh, Fred Van <laughs> that Vliet. That could have been in the small he's talk gone. segment he's in, at the beginning. But, yeah. No, no, I think this is important. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's gone. He's yeah. in Houston. Uh, and Drake, I just saw on ESPN, Drake was uh, throwing some shade on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they were cook- cooking each other in the comments, baby. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> like, some Toronto rap, like, here's here's the issue with, some Toronto Raptors fans is that they've been consistently good for like almost like 10 years straight now. So I think Raptors fans got used to this certain level, like people that just got folded into it, especially recently in like the, with the championship run and everything, they're used to this level of play that like historically has not been about the Raptors basketball is about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and like, so the vibes from the last couple of seasons have been really rough. Um, you know, last season especially was like kind of a disaster with a lot of expectations that didn't really work out. And Fred Van Vliet, for whatever reason, took a lot of the blame for that. And it's, it's, it's crazy to me as someone who's been a fan of the, a fan of the team for many years and watch them go from the like Rafael Larujo of uh, Andrea Barnani years to competing for a championship and winning a championship. Yeah, Hito Turkaloo, the ball. Yeah, I remember that guy. Um, you know, and, and like to see them go from that on that progression to actually winning a championship, which they would not have done without Fred Van Vliet and his incredible performance in that that uh, NBA Finals, uh, in, especially in the closeout game. So to me, like Fred's just a made man. Like he's just someone that I'm always going to have uh, love for. He he helped deliver a championship to Toronto. It's this amazing, incredible thing. Um, and it was crazy to me how the Raptors fans totally turned on him this year and were blaming him for all the problems and, you know, almost celebrating that he's leaving. You know, that to me, I think is pretty horrible considering like that's to me. Yeah. Just no matter like no matter what happened in the last season, He's a he's a legend. He's a Raptors legend, as far as I'm concerned. He helped deliver a championship to the team in 2019. I don't if he misses a few shots in a bad season, you know that's that's fine with me. And I'm happy though that he's securing the bag. Got a huge payout from the Rockets, which is well deserved. He's worked his fucking ass off to go from an undrafted rookie to this massive contract with the the Rockets. So I'm happy for him. I'm sad to see him go, but I'm happy that he's that he secured the bag with the Rockets. And I would volunteer that perhaps. If you had had a coach who had not treated every single regular season game as though it was uh, the fourth quarter of the seventh game of the NBA finals, uh, you might have have focused on uh, developing a a guard to uh, entrust the offense to in the moments that Fred Van Vliet uh, needed to to need to rest or was hurt. Uh, I think uh, I am more than okay with fred going to get his money that uh, you can't he's literally he was literally introduced as mr bet on yourself like yeah you he's gonna go get the money good good for you this is a cold ugly 
uh, billionaire versus millionaire, but also uh, owner versus laborer thing. You know, like you go where your labor is going to be rewarded. That is the only saving grace for NBA players at the end of the day. Uh, And anyone who thinks otherwise um, is either, you know, obscuring how they actually feel or just deciding with ownership, which is an ugly thing to do. Uh, But I'm excited. I'm excited for the new coach. Uh, I'm excited to see how guys like OG uh, and Gary Trent uh, Jr. kind of respond to a new coach who maybe is a little bit more interested in uh, sharing kind of offensive possessions. Uh, and I'm also prepared for them to trade Pascal Siakam. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I am psychologically preparing for it the way I was psychologically yeah. preparing for them <laughs> to trade Fred <laughs> last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I, I'm, you know, I would like to see what they could do if they bring back the team as it is now. Because Siakam last year was on kind of an MVP pace before he hurt himself at the beginning of the year and then never really was able to recover from it. Um, so that would be interesting. Um, I'm for one thing too, I was like, you know, the vibes were so, uh, rancid this year. I don't know how I was feeling about it, but then when they came to the, the draft, Grady Dick, I saw that Grady Dick outfit. I had never, I don't really watch a lot of college hoops. I saw the root, the sparkling Ruby red fit from Grady Dick. I was like, yes, I'm all the way in on this guy. But just when I thought it was out there, pulling me back in here. Now, Rob Jordan, did you see his his explanation of the fit? Yeah, because it's a Kansas thing. Yeah, right. Was yeah, it a so the, the ruby yeah. red slippers. He yeah, he wasn't in Kansas <laughs> yeah. anymore. Now that see, because b- outrageous fits come and go in the NBA. I mean, my God, James Harden has been here for years, but like uh, that level of artistry of thoughtfulness from a young man still at college aged. It's remarkable. Yeah. Absolutely remarkable. This is just what the Raptors need is a swagged up white boy. I've been saying this and we got him now. So <laughs> the league is on notice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's title, oh, it's title town right now. Yeah, exactly. uh, I, I do think it rocks. He like, he like, he like totally was open, open about the fact that he's like, Oh, my mom is a way better shooter than me. She like, uh, she holds some like Iowa, like college record uh, for like points scored or like, like jump shooting percentage. It's like something I don't remember exactly, but, but yeah, his mom is like apparently lethal. It's crazy. Uh, on the, on the fan disappointment and this expectation that so many fans have that a player needs to stay with a team uh, or, you know, calling out or getting mad at players when they go somewhere new after several years in one city, these the fans always try to frame this as a money grab like rob i agree go go get paid yeah. you're only doing this you know if you're lucky 10 years 15 years you know like yeah. lebron is an anomaly in the league for 20 years now that's not the standard people sometimes they're only in there for a couple of years maximize what you can while you're there because who knows what you're going to be doing afterward you're certainly not going to get paid after by at these rates you have to make the uh, yeah. for the rest of your life. You're, you have to make this last. And we're seeing this now with Damian Lillard as he, you know, maybe is going to be in Portland next year. Maybe not. The people's reaction to him who has given 110% to that team for years is just ridiculous. And I just, it is a mindset and a fan behavior pattern that I will never understand. These people 
don't owe you or your city or the team or the owners really anything. If they want to stay, that's great. You know, you love a story of someone spending their entire career in one place. That's always nice and heartwarming. But these guys really need to do what's best for them. And if you have a GM or an owner or a team that isn't giving you tools and weapons that can help you succeed and win or what you need, you have, you have every right to leave. I just I, I can't wrap my head around these deranged fans who think it like these people that they watch on TV every night owe them personally <laughs> staying in that city their entire career. I've got I've got my joke and I've got my serious answer. Which one would you like first? Uh, the the, the joke. joke. Let's first. start with the joke. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I just wish, you know, if, if people cared about property tax rates and transit projects the way they cared about free agents leaving <laughs> their city, man, we might be oh. getting somewhere. Uh, oh, we got a canceled comedian up in here. This is great. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good joke, but it's true. Uh, uh, no, but I, I, I you know, I, I've been thinking a lot more about loss of like loss of control, like people, people kind of feeling like loss of control. Uh in their lives right we saw it obviously with the pandemic that's like a pretty clear-cut example but like you know sports i think in kind of the best ways um is something that people feel like they can control right it happens at a pretty regular interval of your day and of your week uh and you kind of you you know there is like a parasocial element which i think kind of like contributes to that um, that feeling of, of, of anger and, and sort of upset when, when a free agent leaves, when a player leaves. Um, and it is in a lot of ways, especially I think for, for straight men, uh, one of the ways in which you can kind of show emotion and vulnerability in a way that um, uh, doesn't feel like real, real vulnerability. Right. Um and and I think, I think when when someone like a Fred Van Vliet, uh, all of a sudden isn't performing uh, to the way that you've expected, and that you've you've come to to sort of uh, you know uh, believe that he can and believe in this team because it's the thing you look forward to at the end of the day. Because you know, yeah, maybe you live in Toronto and you'll never be able to afford a house, and that's a stressor. That like, and maybe I'm projecting here, but like. You know, I, I I really do think that yeah. that some of this gets kind of misdirected in into sports and to at people who are very like just young and and like you know trying to make their like I can't imagine having had that kind of pressure of of a fan base. I play a gig to like three hundred people and I'm like, is everyone mad at me? <laughs> you know, like like yeah. like. <laughs> Like, you know, let alone like like someone like Fred Van Vliet, who's who's been, you know, on ESPN bleeding from his fucking eye. Like uh, and I just think like like it, it's 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 completely uh, reprehensible behavior, but it is also kind of sad because it, it, yeah. it, it, I think it does speak to this sort of ongoing loss of, of control or this feeling of, of loss of control that leads people down some pretty dark, uh, dark paths. Yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Are we staying in Toronto, Canada stuff this whole episode? This is amazing. This is my quest to we turn this into a, my quest to turn this into an yeah. exclusively Canadian <laughs> politics podcast is progressing well, you, nicely. You really fell flat on that on that campaign on the last episode. The July fourth yeah. episode was <laughs> like Americana Rob, like at its I best. Was, mm. <laughs> so we're switching. 
we're switching Canadian Jordan. That's what the that's what we're calling them these days. Can- Canadian I'll take Jordan. It. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Do I get healthcare? Yeah, we'll you see. do. Yeah, yeah, you would Sick. probably. It's I'm it's in. being privatized though. We'll so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't, yeah, don't, yeah, don't yeah. get too comfortable. Uh, don't get too comfortable with your new healthcare situation. If you don't want, if if you're feeling a little homesick, you can like get a second tier that you pay for, you know, that just to really kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the nostalgia I'm after. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you want to take it, Rob, if you're tired of Toronto, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. What else do we have? Like we could talk a little bit about the bill C 18 thing. I mean, I don't, I think that's kind of an interesting story. like, no matter where you are, because you know, the way that like these big social media companies like Google, like, well, you know, Google's a search engine, but these big tech companies rather like Google, Meta, and the way that they've essentially over the last couple, you know, the last decade plus have transformed into basically news publishers, but without really like being regulated like that. And in the case of Canada and this new bill that just, that they're trying to pass Bill C-18, they're trying to deal with the discrepancy that's going on where Meta and Google are hoovering up all these ad dollars serving news to uh, Canadians that would normally be going to like Canadian media. And um, it's a very kind of half-assed way of doing this. I mean, our, we can talk about Canada's completely collapsing media industry in and of itself uh, with all these mergers that are going on. Our whole media industry is basically controlled by one big right-wing corporation, um, Bell and all these other companies are just laying off people left and right. Um, but they're making this this effort to try and claw back some money out of Facebook and, and Google to help fund Canadian media. And as a response, Google and both Google and Facebook are basically saying, we are going to not serve news anymore to people in Canada. Like Google, like the whole Google news function is just going to be apparently broken as a result of that. And so like we can talk about Bill C-18 and whether it goes far enough or whether it deals with the actual real problems in Canadian media. I don't really think it does, but I do actually think it's worth the discussion as well. No, of course not. I do think it is worth the discussion, though, as well, because like this is something that governments around the world are going to have to start reckoning with the way that these big tech companies, similarly to the ways that like Airbnb have come in and tried to disrupt these uh, industries like the hotel industry or Uber and the taxi industry. One of the things that's happened here with these tech companies uh, is that they've disrupted this media industry and are totally dominating um, the, this space while completely avoiding any scrutiny or regulation. And you know, this is the same case in in America and Canada. I know in Australia they've started to make efforts to deal with Australia, this as well. Yeah. Um, and it's I think it's that's why it's worth the discussion because this is not something that's exclusive to Canada. It's an issue that's kind of affecting everywhere. And it should be interesting, I think, everyone to see how these big tech companies are responding to these kind of very modest efforts to try and rein them in a little tiny bit. Um, And they're going this kind of like all or nothing approach and daring the government to see who's going to blink first, um, which doesn't really bode well for the idea of trying to regulate any of these big companies in the first place. But that's kind of an interesting story that's going on in Canada right now. It feels a little bit like... uh like alien versus predator like policy <laughs> yeah right like the who, uh, whoever whoever wins we all lose yeah. uh but like i you know i saw uh that they've the federal government of canada has uh restricted advertising on instagram as of this afternoon um and again it's like one of these weird things where i'm like that's great you're 
going about this in a way that doesn't make any sense. Like this is just like an escalating, like, uh, like what it, I don't understand what the end game is because they've been pretty, uh, pretty steadfast in like not trying to regulate any of these companies or tax them in any like meaningful way, you know, or like, like try uh, whatsoever to ensure that say like the taxi drivers in Toronto uh, don't get completely decimated by Uber. Uh, you know, I know Vancouver tried, but I don't think it's uh, what it, what it was. And that ban was, was short. I don't know. It just seems like uh, uh, none of this is actually going to fix what's, what the issue is, which is that Can- Canadian uh, and there are a lot of really talented and really hardworking people. Uh, I know many of them, Rob, I'm sure you do too. And Jordan in the United States, I, I know for a fact that you do as well. Like this is not uh, an indictment on people who, who work for these organizations, who work for these newspapers. Like the, these are people who care about uh, the, the things that, that journalism is supposed to, to do um, uh, in a functioning, semi-functioning fucking society (laughs) yeah uh because that's what we have obviously uh but like yeah it's just i I, it just doesn't it feels like the kind of thing that uh uh either uh you know like like any of those congressional hearings like mark zuckerberg shows up and just is like oh shucks right and like and that kind of is enough you know because you get a, a bunch of people asking like what a wi-fi is or something like <laughs> to us it feels like uh, like people are like oh well you know the montreal gazette and the toronto star and uh whatever else oh these are all uh, uh, uh venerable institutions and uh they deserve money but um you know uh uh someone someone doing work like uh like uh like uh jeremy apple or like uh jeremy appel pardon me uh and, uh, you know, or like uh, Matt Elliott is a guy uh, in Toronto covering uh, City Hall in a way that actually is uh, uh, engaging, right? right? Like n- none of these people who are, who are doing that sort of grassroots uh, uh, journalism uh, at a local level, which is where it's getting killed uh, in, in North America uh, ahead of everywhere else. Uh, those people aren't getting money. No. Th- this is just going back into – Or this you know, podcast, you um, know? Uh, We're talking about Canadian stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like brave truth tellers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's grim. It's grim. It, it, it feels like it, in a time where it feels like more and more important to support uh, media, it, it's it's somehow becoming like harder and harder to do it. Like like I don't know. It's it's bizarre. Like I, I think because I think the the average person is not uh too like plugged into what like patreon is i guess unless they're like a fan of jordan peterson i don't know you know like but like i am i wrong like uh, like that might be a little bit cynical and like obviously you guys are 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 engaging with 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 this a little bit more but like uh, i think about like if 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 facebook and google tend to be places that people have reliably gone to get their news for better or for worse. And that's gone. Like, where is that little bit of a media diet coming from? A lot of sites and companies built up their presences through referral traffic from 
these companies too. You know, Google, if you want to get referral traffic, you have to have basically ads and a really, really strong SEO presence. And it has to be both. Facebook, you basically have to boost your post if you want to drive traffic because otherwise they're just going to feed people the most insane reels, <laughs> videos, whatever that you could possibly see that will make you mad, that'll make you hate your neighbor just to keep you on that site. They're not going to give you coverage of your local city hall if you even are lucky enough to have a paper where that still exists. You know, my my hometown, we had a paper for a hundred some years and it closed down several years ago because they just ran out of money. Part of it is because that, you know, these companies killed those businesses. And now because everybody is reliant on them for the news, they can push these outlets around and say, you give us that, you give us this. Otherwise, nobody gets anything. And it's become like a pay to play thing. So when you have fracking billionaires supporting outlets like the Daily Wire, that enables Ben Shapiro to run tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Facebook ads every single year, build up this colossal presence and have ridiculous influence over what people think and how they see the news. It It is, you know, in part because of money and how they're able to shape the narrative to their favor, but also because throughout North America and throughout most of the world, I, I do want actually want to carve out Europe. They're a little bit different. They're a little bit better on, on tech, but North America we lag so far behind technological advancements, it results in things like you're saying. Hearings where a member of Congress is asking someone from TikTok if TikTok can access the Wi-Fi. And then they're also duped, maybe they're not, maybe they're just playing along, by things like Facebook's PR campaign and Zuckerberg testifying, oh no, we want regulations and we'll help you craft them. So they can help rewrite the regulations to their favor, which will ultimately allow them to do whatever they want or continue what they're doing with the government's blessing. Because they know people on the Hill are too fucking stupid or too corrupt that nothing meaningful will actually be enacted. Nothing with teeth will be in place that will rein in what they can do and actually shift the power balance back to independent publishers or local outlets. It seems like a general trend of what we've been talking about today is that there's a lot of very serious crises affecting our society in a number of ways. We talk about our media industry collapsing, uh, housing, climate, and a lot of the proposals that are being uh, advanced to confront these crises are, go nowhere near far enough to get at, you know, why these things are happening in the first place. Um, and meanwhile, these uh, these kind of half-assed gestures are being framed as being this kind of radical takeover and is galvanizing people on the other side. So it's not something that makes inspires me with a lot of hope for how we're going to continue to confront any number of these very serious crises moving forward. Um, because no one seems to be willing to really go after these things at the root of, of uh, you know, where what's causing them in the first place. But, you know, maybe it'll all work out. You know, who knows? I, I have to, I, I, I try and remain optimistic uh, because I, I, I don't know how else, um, you know, how else to get out of bed if I don't. And, um, you know, Someone like I, I think to myself, like, um, if someone like Mike Davis could have still kind of maintained optimism toward the end of his life when he was kind of, you know, on death's door or whatever, then then I feel like uh, I could do that. Like if Mike Davis could do it, I could do it. 
you know? Um, and, and I think that's sort of the thing. So it's like, you know, someone like Olivia Chow, uh, yeah, I will try and be uh, optimistic. Uh, do I have high expectations? Uh, no, I've lived in Toronto my whole life. Uh, and more and more, I don't recognize this city. Uh, and that is a common theme, I think, among people um, who live in urban environments uh, that, you know, are, are especially kind of in, in North America. Um, but, but I, I you know, I, I, this is why, uh, you go out and talk to people if you can and get to know your neighbors and try and actually, uh, get a sense. And there are people who are doing way more than I am in Toronto. I'm not trying to, you know, make it sound like, uh, you know, I, I'm anyone special, but, but just, just by like, in, in, engaging on that sort of local neighborly level and trying to be, uh, decent and, and, uh, you know, talking to people and meeting them where they're at, but not giving any quarter to, to any of that fascist shit, um, I think is important. You're here. Yeah, I love it. It's a good note. To I always on. leave things on this depressing note. So I think that's a much better place to try and sign <laughs> off on. I'm yeah, always great. Yeah. I leave everyone wanting to fucking kill themselves after that's my, <laughs> that's my go-to move to close out these episodes. <laughs> like, yeah, actually drinking heavily every day until I die probably yeah. is the easiest thing to do. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> leave people feeling really good about themselves and society. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Uh, uh, Steve, you, where, Steve. Can, where can people uh, find you, follow uh, you, not find you, but yeah, follow yeah, you uh, and, and see Pup this year? You can find me paying Facebook to promote my posts. And uh, no, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Pup uh, is forever, forever on tour. Uh, we will be in uh, parts of the United States. We'll be at Ride Fest in Chicago. We'll be at Oshega in, in, in Rob's hometown, hometown of Montreal. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm around on the internet, uh, Sladcow and whatever, I don't know, Blue Sky, Twitter, in, Instagram. What and is anything? Threads. It's no. all hell now. Our favorite, our favorite, our favorite website is gone. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't have that one yet, but I'll find it, I guess. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm around. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Anytime. Take care, fellas.